So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I get to talk to two entrepreneurs, two people that have built some pretty significant businesses together. We want to unpack partnerships. We want to talk about mortgage. We want to talk about the future of where it's all going. Uh, Carrie Armstrong and Greg Schwartz, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Tom. Carrie, I could just see your brain spinning over there. All kinds of all kinds of goodness. So let's let's talk about partnering. But first, for the people that don't know, you guys worked at a little company called Zillow. Help people understand what the two of you did at Zillow. Carrie, starting with you. Absolutely. Uh, so I was at Zillow for seven years, and the biggest thing I did was changing the premier agent business, which is the business selling leads to real estate agents taking it from one where we dropped a lead into an agent's inbox to one where we facilitated a phone introduction to one where we did a date for a tour. So, so some would call that as simple as you made that sound, a tremendous amount of innovation, things that other portals hadn't done before. What was the insight that, that caused you to think we might want to make this a better experience? We reached a point where we knew that we were delivering a bad service to our customers. People would come to Zillow in love with the brand from TV advertising, in love with the experience on the on the portal, and in love even with a home. And then they'd be utterly let down when they reached out and they didn't hear back, which was what happened more often than not. Or when they reached out and they heard back and they had a crummy experience. And we knew we had to do something to fix that. Carrie, it's so interesting as you say that, uh, Greg and I have discussed that in my own business. I know every top team listening to this right now, you know, they've, they built these iconic brands, these, these, you know, digital and personal reputations in the market as a real estate professional. And then sometimes the handoff to their transaction coordinator, the handoff to their buyer's agent doesn't have that same experience. So it sounds like same problem. You just solved it at a massive scale. Yeah, for 2 million customers a month. Exactly, exactly. But it's the same problem. Every business has that problem. Um, you just use, need to use different techniques depending on how big of a problem it is and how, how what your scale looks like. Love it. Well, we may, we may come back to that one because that's a big one for everyone listening. Greg, going back to the original question, what did you do at Zillow? I, you did a lot, like Carrie. What did I do? I followed behind Carrie and, and, and gave speeches. No, I did more than that. Um, hey, I tried to bring empathy um, for our partners, for 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 real estate agents and and builders and the like. I tried to make sure that uh, we didn't lose our focus on not just creating a high revenue or a high profit business, but on a longer term healthy business that grew with the ecosystem. Our partners growing with us, and that was the greatest point of pride. Was all these amazing businesses that individual agents started and those individual agents had enough business to hire an assistant and then a buyer's agent and then a showing agent that suddenly they were a team and then they were a brokerage and they were dominating the world. And I don't say that as a joke. That's what my job was, uh, was to look at the architecture of the whole company and make sure our partners were succeeding in a massive way. 
And if that happened, we knew we were going to be massively successful. And and one would argue that all of that did transpire. So so congrats to you both. But it does lead me to the next question. Now you guys have created a new thing together, Tomo Network. And I, I got to ask you, do, does the world, do we really need another mortgage company? Like, really? <laughs> do we need another mortgage company? Gary, <laughs> why don't you jump in? But uh, this is our favorite question. Um. Have have you worked with many mortgage companies? I think the issue is not the number, but the quality. <laughs> yes. Uh, we don't need another shitty mortgage company, I'll tell you that. But we do need a single great mortgage company, and that's what we're trying to build. So, more, Carrie, mortgage is such a commodity. Like, do we really? It's not. It's not like you know. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say the experience is as bad as going to the DMV, but it's close. But you don't have to do it all that often. It's like buying a house isn't that much fun. Finding a house, searching for a house is wonderful. The experience of doing the transaction is horrific, but we only do it, I don't know, three, four, five times maybe in our lifetime. Do we really need innovation in this space? I mean, I would say that's all the more important because you don't do it very often. And so you don't have any idea what you're getting into. And so you need a mortgage lender who's going to make sure that you do close on time that you do get a great rate, that you don't pay for a crappy experience in one of the most stressful parts of your life. Uh, the fact that it's infrequent doesn't make it unimportant at all. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a really, that Tom, that is among our, our, our most driving points at Tomo is folks tell us all the time they feel out of control. And those folks are both the real estate agent and the home buyer. Um, they feel fear. Like these are base human emotions when they think about the mortgage process, feeling out of control, feeling fearful, sometimes feeling ashamed that they overpaid or got the wrong product um, or had fees that were embarrassingly high. Um, that screams opportunity in a category that's $1.8 trillion, not to talk money, but that's the U.S. purchase mortgage market. It's like, depending on the year, $1.7, $1.8 trillion, and there's very few folks that say they're satisfied. So that screams opportunity for, for folks like all of us. So this is, again, your second venture together, you know, first at Zillow and now with this. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Carrie, like, what's different about this? This is like a startup. When you got to Zillow, I assume that, you know, they weren't public yet, but they were certainly on the path. What are you finding that's like most challenging now in a startup environment? Oh, it's totally different. It's it's completely different. Um, you know, we're... I, I joined Zillow when we were 400 people and um, I joined Tomo when it was just me and Greg. And, uh, you know, you have an idea and you want to go try it and you look around the room and you're like, I guess I'm going to be the one trying this. Um, and it's only for every idea for a little while. And we're, we're about a hundred people now. Um, so, you know, substantially bigger, there are more people to, to, to go try things out. Uh, but to a certain extent, it's still true. Um, everything is more precious. You know, you, you have, you have fewer people to try to execute things and you, you need to be vastly more focused on what opportunities you're pursuing in what way and how rapidly you're learning. Is that a valuable opportunity or not? So Carrie, what you just said right there is a mic drop for every team, team Ridge, broker owner, husband and wife team. We're all fighting for like, who's got the best idea, the limited resources, where do I put our concentration? How have you... How, like, how have you found or what advice do you have around prioritization, right? I mean, we're going into a new year. Everybody's got new ideas, new ambition. The market is slowing and challenging, and yet we all want to scale and do better. But we only have so much time and people capacity. How do you prioritize? Yeah. 
I think the answer for us is probably knowing what success looks like. And I think that's probably even more true for small businesses where it's, it's not just financial success. It's also how much of their life this consumes, how much stress this puts on them. So I, I would say for everybody, what does success look like? And taking all those opportunities and comparing their potential to deliver that success. And then as you're testing them, constantly weighing them against that criteria again. If success looked like, I, you know, if it's financial success, if it's profitability success, for example, does this opportunity deliver that? Or does it deliver something else that's lower priority? So I need to put it to the side. Um, so knowing what you're trying to achieve and continually evaluating the things you're doing and saying, are these the things that are going to make me achieve that success or not, is the most important thing. And then uh, how fast, so I, yeah, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. Yeah, I love this question, Tom, but I saw this live and I'll never name names, but uh, this is one of the most fundamental things in business. What you focus on is what you have the hope to become. And if you focus on the wrong things, you're cooked. I saw Tom coaching an agent, a friend, and the friend wanted to expand their team. Uh, maybe you remember this to an area they weren't currently operating in, and you were ruthless in trying to convince them to focus on their core, which wasn't fully which wasn't fully owned before they start expanding to new areas and running after um, what they hadn't yet secured. And, and that is imperative uh, in how we think about the business. I do a first principle exercise. I stare up, at, you know, I lock myself in a room, stare up at the stars, and, and try to figure out the fundamental truth from this thing. Is it going to advantage the business? Next, is it the next most important thing for us to win at? And if it isn't, I, I, I try to run away. Do you remember that moment where you were coaching I, that way, Tom? I do remember that moment. I do. It's, it's hard because, again, we're, we're in a new year and you guys have this new business and a $1.7 trillion TAM. Right. So I would imagine, Carrie, there's a lot of shiny pennies and a lot of, you know, loan officers or salespeople or, you know, engineers coming in saying, hey, we just had a client. And they had this problem. Hey, let, let's go solve this at scale. Let's let's you know divert the title, you know, the ship to now going this direction versus that direction. I think it's important for every owner listening right now. Like, how do you hold the line? And again, whether it's prioritization or Greg stopping and looking at the stars, how do you guys maintain the focus together? Uh Go ahead, Carrie. Tell us how we how we maintain it together. Okay, for the record, like everyone listening, you guys live in different parts of the country, east and west coast. You're not a couple. I deal with a lot of, you know, husband and wife teams. Most partnerships, Carrie, don't really make it, right? Someone, someone becomes too domineering, you know, someone goes off the rails. I mean, we see it all the time in business. You two, this is like the second go around. How do you guys do it? How do you keep it going at this pace? When you asked Tom, how is it different now than it was at Zillow? Honestly, I think the biggest difference is that my I don't my chair isn't next to Greg's anymore. He's physically across the country, yeah. um, three thousand miles away. And the thing that we do to try to make up that distance is that we get on Zoom every morning, six thirty my time, nine thirty Greg's time, and we talk for an hour. And all day long after that, I've got a list of things I might want to talk to Greg about the next day. And I think he's got a post-it note that is the same um, in Connecticut. And we go through everything. And I think we are really ruthless with each other about, we have lots of great ideas that aren't going to make a difference. And we're ruthless with each other about gently gently asking questions that get to that answer. Is it going to make a difference? Yeah. Um, recently, I put together a list of things we had done in a certain area to try to fix a problem. 
And it was really helpful because it was like, wow, all those things seemed really good, but they're just small, silly things. And it really helped us identify other small, silly things moving forward that we probably don't need to bother with. Um, Because there's lots lots of shiny pennies, like you said. They're they're everywhere. Right. Hey, here's the other thing, Tom, in in a partnership in Carrie's I agree with everything Gary said, is in business partnerships or in life partnerships, um, we debate out sometimes in an exhausting fashion what the right thing to do is. I've I've never seen Carrie apply power to me or me to her, if that makes sense. There's never a, yeah. you are wrong, I am right, I will win because I will yeah. use more force. Yeah. If one does that in a business partnership, the partnership's kind of cooked. Uh, there has to be a great deal of trust um, and respect in respect and yes. incentives are aligned. And if not, it becomes very, very difficult. I haven't had that with Carrie. I was going to say, I think that's partially because we both just want the truth, right? In any, in any conversation, we're not trying to figure out who's going to win. We're trying to figure out what is the best thing for us to do. And yes. sometimes our points of view aren't the same. And we acknowledge that and figure out how we're going to, how, whether it's worth testing or not. Um, and do we push forward with one direction or the other, but really we just want to know what's the truth and what's going to grow the business. So you, you said a word there, test, and that comes up a bunch. Um, I was thinking about, I think it was a Saster conference. Uh, Jack from Twitter was talking about when they were at their best versus I think potentially why he came back. I don't know if he said it exactly that way. But he said they had a culture of, you know, eight to 12 tests happening at all times, every single week, new tests, innovating, improve the product, make things better, make it a better experience. And he said, and then that culture went away and the company became stale, right? And I think, again, paraphrasing a long story of why he eventually came back. How, how do you guys view testing when it comes to product market fit? right? When it comes to, you know, which products to, to offer to consumers, what to say to consumers, what not to say to consumers. There's so many potential tests in a real estate agent's business, in a mortgage business, in any service industry where it could be, you know, perceived as commoditized. So how do you guys manage that? With great effort, with great, great effort. Hey, hey Carrie does something um, that I think every business person should do and every business person can do when we're debating about homepage language or offer language right. Um, right. or concepts, uh, Carrie leads a process which just gets fast. Uh, it, feel, it gets fast to survey research to consumers in a very inexpensive manner. Mm-hmm. We don't spend six months with a research agency at $100,000. We spend almost nothing getting things on a Google form. To market, Carrie, could you give like two seconds of insight? I bet this would be valuable. This is so like valuable for the team leader listening right now. Please. Oh yeah, there, there's there's lots of different cheap ways to test. You know, whether it's you know recruiting people online to review a homepage prototype and give your feedback, and you hear te- you talk to ten of them, and you know what two hundred would have said, yeah. or. Um, Standing up a really crummy landing page um, and seeing what the conversion is like uh, with one button versus another button. Or fielding a survey to all the people who you've worked with in the past, asking them, what should we, we're looking at these three things that we might want to build next. Which would have been valuable to you if we'd had it when you used us and and why? Um, people people will tell you their opinion. You just got to find a way to make it easy for them to answer the question. 
And that really frees you from, you know, sitting around a conference people being like, I don't know what's going to work if you have some sort of consumer input. I think it's and then, hey, Tom, the other, the other way, yep. inexpensive way to do it is SEM tests. Sometimes yep. we'll, we'll throw together a quick landing page, even if it doesn't fully connect to the utility, yep. and buy a hundred bucks of SEM against it yep. and have two or three different concepts on two or three different landing pages. And that'll give you a pretty good sense of feedback um, very quickly. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Yeah, I love it. It's it's such an important element. One of the things we're we're talking with all the team leaders is creating that culture of testing. Just, you know, ABT, always be testing. Just like they all understand, you know, always be closing. We also need to always be testing to figure out what is the most optimal approach to the problem we're trying to solve. More traffic, more full form fillouts, more applications, more sales, whatever it may be. But let's let's go a little different direction. I I keep saying you know, Greg and I've talked about it, you know, carry a bunch, like does, does the world really need another mortgage company? And I, I, I bring it up somewhat tongue in cheek because I know what the experience is like. I know that it is, uh, you know, whether I'm refinancing a property or I just did a 35 year HUD loan on an apartment building that if I told you what we did the last two weeks, you know, like going to the dentist would have been way more fun than having four teeth removed, like no Novocaine. It was that kind of experience. It's horrific. So, what innovation has Tomo done that you guys are most proud of? So I think that the things that we are proud of that are the most innovative are probably around bringing customers answers faster and moving toward a world where they get digital self-service experiences that provide them with real reliable answers about what they can qualify for and get them things they can use like pre-approvals or someday final approvals instantly. That, that That's the direct we're going. Um, the goal is not to have a nicer person who's handling the same paperwork over the course of 30 days. It's for you to be able to connect your accounts, say what you want to do, and get a final answer on whether you can get a mortgage for that property or not. So why doesn't that already exist? Or does it? Did you guys just take something that was out there and make it better? Or did you create something new? Because it's so darn hard. <laughs> One would think that the infrastructure in fintech and industry exists, that this is um, undifferentiated. Uh, you know, press releases and technology are far easier to write and produce than actual API connections, data, technology, and industry changing, uh, enabling platforms. Uh, that That's really what it is. Uh, as we dig deeper into uh, bringing the automated mortgage, uh, using people to drive advice and comfort in the mortgage process, loan officers, and digital technology to enable this stuff, um, the infrastructure really is being built right in front of us today. Uh, and it's it's a quite a massive lift. So when it's done, what can we all expect? I know it's never done done. But when this iteration is done, what can we expect? An agent refers their customer to Tomo. The customer is able to go to our website, 
enter just a tiny bit of information about themselves so that we can connect their accounts. And they get an instant answer with an underwritten pre-approval letter saying what they can afford that they can use to go make an offer on a home. And when they make an offer on a home, they get to enter the property address and they find out immediately that they're final approved. That's that's where we're building toward. And there's no 30-day wait. There's no long list, of, you know, that constant drip of document requests. There's no wondering and worrying. They just know that they're good. Their mortgage is lined up. I, again, like for the listener, it just sounds so simple and it's just so baffling that it doesn't already exist. <laughs> well, you want to build I, a simple yeah. experience for a consumer. All the complexity back behind it, you know, right. the, the, the goal is to abstract all that complexity away and let the customer just focus on what actually matters, which is how are they going to get their stuff from their old place to their new place? Right. What color is that sofa going to be? Um, yes. Not write me a letter of explanation for this hard credit that check that you got. Yes. Yes. Greg, anything different on what it's done? Yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. And part, part of this, Tom, is the, the, the technology to enable these things. And part of it is, is the insight, the business process. We know mortgage has so mm-hmm. many different iterations, right? right? Your credit, your income, your assets, everyone has a different financial story and life story. And that's been difficult for the propeller heads, my people. Uh, uh, you might have called us in high school nerds, but so be it. Um, that's been difficult to capture all those differences in people, those business rules in software to the point that you could automate the stuff. That's what we're grinding away at. And you do one loan and then 10 loans and 100 loans and 1,000 loans. And then you start to see... Um, the pattern matching that you need to solve. And we're, we're right on, we're right on the cusp of it. Did I just call myself a nerd, Tom? I, I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, I tell my boys before I went to college, the nerds rule the world. Like you're going to be fine guys. Just be smart, but let's go a different direction. A lot of, a lot of people will listen to this and they'll say, they're so free in sharing what it is that they ultimately want to achieve. Aren't they concerned that rocket or, Wells Fargo or just name any, you know, independent mortgage company or a bank is going to say, well, if these knuckleheads from, you know, Seattle and Connecticut can do this, we can deploy resources and capital and get it done infinitely faster. That's a really good idea. Let's go get it done. Aren't you guys slightly nervous that the more people hear about this, competitors are going to say, we're going to take them out? I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I'm not. Andy Jassy, I'm not either. I think Andy Jassy had this quote. I was trying to remember it. The CEO of, of, of Amazon, which is competition isn't one of the top 10 things I talk about in my weekly leadership meeting. Hey, whether I'd say it applies here. This is such a complicated, demanding space. Uh, those companies you mentioned have had 30, 40 years to solve it. Yeah. For whatever reason, they haven't to date. Mm-hmm. I don't know why... Me and Kiri and our team of Robin Hood-like, uh, you know, do-gooders come along and we're fundamentally going to make the largest bank in the world change their practices. I think that's unlikely, um, lest we have that impact. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bite my tongue because I know some companies that had to change because somebody came out of nowhere, you know, Netflix, Blockbuster, Horse and Buggy, Car. Horses were around for a real long time. Henry Ford kind of pulled it off, but let's, I'll go a different direction. 
What do you guys see right now? I mean, obviously you must have a lot of consumer data on the amount of people that are coming to your website, talking to you guys, whether they're a lot of agent referrals, which I know you guys receive as well as uh, direct to consumer or wh what are you hearing most from uh, people that want to get a mortgage today? What insights do you have carry for the person listening to go a little behind beyond their typical prequal to figure out what's really on the minds of consumers right now? I mean, I think, I think we all know that the biggest thing homebuyers are thinking about today is rates and, and what it means for them as rates change. And so it's really important for customers to be able to have a very, very crisp understanding of what their loan application looks like so they can understand what does my budget look like at this rate and what does it look like if it goes up and what does it look like if it goes down? And having a rough prequal is not sufficient in this environment because you just don't know how your budget's going to change if rates go up a whole percent or down a whole percent. And understanding that range and what it means for what you can afford and maybe even being able to control that range by locking your rate before you're under contract, which Tomo does support, that's really important. So I, I think everyone needs to be much, much more solid on their financials than we were in an environment where money was effectively free. Greg, any other insight on the buyers today? And I'm curious, is it more is it more first-time buyers, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth? Are you seeing any uh, specific age groups, millennials, more than boomers, more than Xers, any of that data? Yeah, hey, hey we, you know, we, and we intend to, we, we do best with first and second-time home buyers, uh, especially early adopters of technology, but everyone wants a better way. It's just yeah. where things start and where things get adopted. Um, this is such an interesting market. It's changing week to week, Tom. Mm -hmm. um, Thanksgiving week, I think, for all of real estate was probably a pretty pretty slow week, uh, unusually slow, uh, even even for Thanksgiving week. This week uh, uh, and last week were much stronger weeks. Yep. Um, interest rate, we, we're showing a 6% par rate today. Uh, that's got a lot of folks that were hanging around um, yep. back in market. So uh, we're finding folks still want a house. They still want a well-priced house. We know well-priced well houses aren't staying on the market for very long. Um, we all we all see that see that data, and now we're seeing it downstream and on the phones, which is interest rates move down. People are being really opportunistic. Our lock and shot product couldn't be a more perfect product for the day uh you know we do a 120 day lock and shop without a contract without having to have an address and uh and then it also has a float down so if prices even go down further it, the rate will float down and it's 450 bucks that has been probably our hottest product um over the last few weeks because people know that things may well go back up and they want to grab the moment I know we're not, none of us are in the prediction business, but December 14th is right around the corner as we're filming this today. And many are saying the inflation rate is going in the right direction, going down, depending upon, you know, which, which news, you know, media you're listening to. But if that's the case, the assumption is inflation goes down. Maybe it's in the low sevens. Maybe it gets to high sixes. We know interest rates will follow. What do you guys think is going to happen? Isn't this the hardest, isn't this one of the hardest questions? Right. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if we see sustained rates in, in the, in the low sixes, high fives. Uh, my sense is Europe isn't under control yet. Not that I'm an economist, uh, housing prices still, you know, especially on the rental side are still quite, uh, significant high. Uh, so I think if we bump around in the sixes, that would be a great thing. That is a for great thing, a, a great thing for who? 
that's my polite way of saying, I think we still have a little bit of inflation to take out of the market. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping that we don't, we don't, we don't see an increase uh, back into the sevens. Carrie, thoughts? Everything Greg said, but then I'll add, we know the demand is still there. There's still people right. who weren't able to find homes before um, because of inventory problems. And they're sitting around waiting for things to change so that either there's more inventory or rates go down or both. Um, so, so we know there are buyers out there. It's just a question of what changes to unlock the situation for them. Yes. That really is the key. And I've got a mastermind coming up in a few days trying to figure out how I can help all these incredible teams go from listing several hundred homes a year to list several thousand properties a year, finding the inventory that needs to be found for these, you know, for these buyers out there that are desperately wanting to buy. So, okay. So as we get near wrapping this up, kind of just closing thoughts for the industry, you know, we're going into a new year. Many are saying 2023 is going to be kind of the same of what we experienced the last, you know, six months of this year. What, what insight or what thoughts do you have for the real estate industry at large, Carrie? Gosh, just got to roll with the punches these days, don't you? It's, it, is, it is constantly changing. Uh, I think staying in touch with the market so you understand how to advise customers best in the environment is the most important thing. Um, and making sure that you're not just running the old playbooks from you know, 2020, 2021, but you're really evolving. I think that's the most important thing. Um, it, it's new times require new approaches. Yes, 100%. Greg, closing thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to hit it. Um, and you touched on it. Listings win. Listings uh, win in the last market and they win in this market as well. Uh, e e even even with uh, higher mortgage rates, like I said, well-priced listings sell fast. Folks want to live a better life and a better home. So focus on your listings ge listing generation strategy for sure. Uh and this is not going to be, I really don't think it's going to be like 0708. No. Uh, this is fundamentally a different situation. In 0708, we had poor credit quality, which really means we gave folks mortgages that shouldn't have had them. And they spent, and the market ultimately popped when we couldn't continue to give mortgages to less qualified individuals. The, the whole right. system kind of popped. This is not the situation. We've never had better credit quality. Uh, resulting from 0708, so good. Uh, and this is really about prices got unsustainable, so things are slowing down a little bit and people are worried. Okay, uh, that's going to solve itself. Inflation will solve itself. Listen to what Tom tells you to do. Go out and get listings. Be disciplined. Uh, work your sphere. Uh, treat people with respect. Make sure you have a, a great purpose. Um uh, make sure if anyone walked up to you and said, what's different about your real estate business from all their businesses in your market, that you have a really clear value proposition. If you do, you'll do great. Yes. Yes. It's truly going to be as we, as we get near wrapping this up, I, I see next year, I hate the way this sounds, Carrie, but it, but it just is what it is. It's the rich and the rest, right? When you look across, you know, broadly the MLSs in the U S you've got nearly 71% of all the volume and transactions being done by the top 25% of the agents in the MLS. But then if you go up a notch and say, what about the top 10? The top 10% are doing 51% of all the volume and all the transactions. So it's truly gonna be a rich in the rest environment next year. I think it's even gonna be even more so than it was during the, you know, the pandemic 20, you know, 2020, 2021. So for my listener, 
Uh, Carrie said it, the playbooks that you were running, the plays that you were running, if they're not producing results right now, stop, stop. It's like, Hey, we ran this test. It didn't work. I tried this email. It didn't work. I tried this script. It didn't work. I, you know, Hey, I waited for deals to come to me. It didn't work. Run plays that work and you will do really well in this environment because the vast majority of people won't. Um, Hey, really fast. What states are you guys in now? I feel like I should have asked you that a while ago because you just had, I saw something on Emin. You guys recently just opened up five more states. Where are you now? Okay, oh let's, God. let's. Are you pulling, so, you're pulling up the list? I got it. I got it. <laughs> ah, go. Nice meet me. uh, Colorado, Connecticut, District of Columbia, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Washington. Love it. Love it. Well, congratulations, the two of you. Uh, again, it's, it's fun to, to watch the two of you work together, to been invited into a couple of meetings in your one hour sessions to see how the two of you go back and forth. It, it's fun because again, we'll listen to this interview 10 years from now and we'll look back and say, remember how horrible the mortgage experience was? <laughs> and then we'll talk about, you know, the beauty of maybe doing it all on your iPhone and never talking to anybody and making that process just fantastic. So congrats to the two of you. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. And for my friend out there listening, um, there was a lot of insights for you in terms of running a business, having a partnership, testing. I would listen to this two or three times and listen beyond just mortgage and listen to the fundamentals of how they're operating the business. Operate a business the right way, whatever industry you're in, you're going to kill it. Congrats to the two of you. And for my friend out there listening and watching, thank you so much for being a part of my community. We'll see you on the next show. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.